course. Morning, Father. Thank you so much for our new day, God. We are here to worship you, to honor you, God. We are here to hear from you, Father God. I pray that we will be a good soil, Father God, that we will be obedient to do exactly what you have called us to, God. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord Jesus, for your bride, God, that we will continue to walk habitually with you and the Spirit, Father God, that we will not gratify the desire of the flesh, Father. I pray that you protect and even endurance our brother to our brothers and sisters and those out of the world, Father God, and here in America as well, Father God, that we will be diligent, Father God, to seek your face, to, to pray and to intercede on behalf of those who are lost, Father God, and for those who are in the pulpit preaching what is not what you have commanded them to do and preach, Father God. So I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that you will protect my brother, God, that you will give him wisdom, that he will continue to be bold and courageous, Father God, that he will continue to speak truth to us, even when it hurts, Father, so, because the truth hurts. And, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that your word will penetrate our heart like a double sword age, Father God, that we will see, kill, we will seek your face, your face, Father. So we love you, Jesus. We give this, this time to you, Father God. Let be a beautiful our own to you, Master Father. So we love you. We start to worship. To honor you in spirit and truth. And we say to you, Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come. Quickly, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. God, just yet for another day of life. Father, your word says that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for the opportunity to, to be in your presence, Father. We pray that today, God, that we would set our eyes upon you, Father, that we would be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, God. As your word is being read, I, I pray, God, that our hearts would be of good soil to receive, that it would take root, and it would produce lasting fruit in our lives. As we prayed earlier, Father, God, we need you. Pray, God, that you would revive us, Lord. Strengthen your people. Encourage us this day, God. That we would be effective laborers in your harvest field, Lord. That we would be bold in our witness. That we would go forth to declare the gospel, the good news. That we wouldn't be timid or, or afraid. God, that we would know that we know that we are secured in Christ, established, firmly rooted, called out of darkness and into your marvelous light to bear witness of our risen Savior. So bless your people and bless the reading of your word, I pray this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. The justice of God will not be mocked. You will harvest what you plant. Again, it's this encouragement. Each Sunday that we get together, I'm going to encourage us in this scripture. To really encourage us to grow, to mature throughout this year. To take and to give thought to our actions, to even our thoughts, to our words, to what we're placing our hands towards, to where our feet are heading, but to give thought of a life that, that we are called to live to honor God. It's a new life. If you're in Christ and you've given your life to Christ, you've been born again of the Spirit. And it's now a life that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He comes and He transforms us by changing the way we think. And I keep, this past week, I keep going back thinking about these ladies that we heard about in India. It's been a few months since we watched the DVD. But these women live in the dump, in the trash. And they build their homes and they raise their kids in, a, in the dump. <laughs> in homes that they built out of the trash and the rubbish that is around them. And society looks down on them. They're the least of the least. And living in there, there is no hope to get out of that condition in that country. And yet when these women heard the gospel, and they gave their life to Christ, 
Their mission wasn't to get out of the tump. Their mission was to declare Christ in the dump. That people will begin to see that they have changed. Not of anything of their own doing, but what Christ has done in and through them. And if you remember, they began to clean up their surroundings. You would find them out there sweeping, taking care of just the little that they had. And then began to to invite others in as others began to see a change in them. And question, why why would they serve a God that didn't make their life better? And they would encourage the people, you're only looking through your temporal eyes. God has already made my life better because He's given me an eternal hope. And that's the hope that they wake up every day. That's the hope that they get up every day. That others may continue to look down on them, but they're not moved by what others say or think of them. They have a new identity. They have a new purpose. And they're getting up every day and they're sowing seeds of righteousness. They're holding Bible studies. They're learning the Word. And they're sharing it. And people are beginning to see a change in the dump. There's a revival taking place in the dump. Only God, only a living God can do that. I mean, do you understand how many gods that they think that they serve over there in that country? (laughs) And none of them have ever impacted these lives of these women like the true living God. And that's what God does in each of our lives. If we yield to Him, if we surrender our lives to Him, if we forsake it all and say, God, I belong to You. And now I want to sow seeds of righteousness. I want to sow seeds of purity, of wholeness. And that's what I keep encouraging in you all. Are you living still out of your brokenness? Or are you now beginning to live out of His wholeness? His wholeness. Like when Jesus says to us, peace I leave you, peace I give you, that peace is wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And that's how you have to get up every single day, no matter your circumstances, no matter what's bombarding your mind or your emotions. That you're no longer living out of brokenness, you're no longer living out of the old. What used to define you. No, you're now pursuing Him who now defines you. How am I to live? How am I to live now in Christ? How am I to grow in the knowledge when everything in the world is screaming at me not to grow in the knowledge of Christ? Everything is screaming at me to go my way, to remember my brokenness, to demand my rights. God says, no, I've called you out of the world so that you can bear witness of my power. Like Jesus, he's defeated sin and death. He is ruling and he is reigning. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's not pacing back and forth, wringing out his hands, 
trying to figure out how it all is going to get better. No, he's already made it better. Because when he cried out from the cross, it is finished. It's finished. And we as his people can go forth empowered by his Holy Spirit to live a life that's honoring God, to declare the good news, to encourage others, to keep pressing on, keep moving forward, because there's a day that he's returning for people that he calls his own, and in return they will call him their God. Oh, the good news of the gospel, you all. Go to Numbers. Chapter 19. As I encouraged you all, you can see it all through Scripture. Sometimes we make it hard for people to to understand God's purpose and God's plan. But Scripture is laid out for us. God's purpose and plan from the beginning to the end, that He will have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God, that they would live for Him, that they would honor Him. That they would enjoy His presence. That they would know that they know that He is for them and not against them. That He has a plan and that He has a purpose for them. I mean, you can wake up, no matter again what your situation is, and not have confidence in in the temporalness, but you can have confidence in Christ. And you can stand. And we have a friend, um, Justin, who is battling brain cancer again. And I'm so encouraged by him because he stays in contact with me every day. And he shares these scriptures with me. And I go back and I share things with him. And it's just been so encouraging. Because I'm sure there's times of of anxious thought. I'm sure there's times of, of uncertainty. I'm sure there's times of discouragement. I'm sure there's times of, of just exhaustion. As he's going through treatment, as he's, as, as he's in need because he doesn't have insurance of, of, of provision, as he's selling everything off that he has, but God sustains him, keeps him. He's been faithful to send scripture daily. This is how, brother, this is how the Lord is speaking to me today. And I get so overwhelmed with joy. I don't feel discouraged for him. I don't, I, don't, I don't look down and go, oh God, I don't question God. Because I see God in the midst of this. As he's walking Justin through this time and yet another season in his life. And he's strengthening him. I know how we need to keep him uplifted in prayer. But this is, this is the God in whom we are, are, are going to hear about today. This is the God in whom the majority of us sitting here have claimed Him to be our God. This is the God who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, Jesus. The sustainer of life. And as we've been reading through the Old Testament, let us not forget that God has called out a people... For himself. 
He's called them out from the other nations. They're not to live like the other nations. They're not to act like the other nations. They're not to pursue and gratify the desires within them as the other nations are doing. The same wickedness and vileness that we see in our generation is the same that was going on then. And God was telling these people, this is how you are to live. I have called you out from among them. I'm going to reveal myself to them through you. You are to be holy as I am holy. And remember, his justice cannot be mocked. What they have been giving themselves to, they has come right back on them. And remember, God is just and God is righteous. And there's no error in God. And I'm going to continue to remind us that. The error is found in men. We cannot continue to hold our fists up to God. We cannot continue to blame God. I watched a street preacher last night that I really, he lives up in Canada, that I really enjoy watching. And he's really bold with his preaching. And as he was preaching, and as he was out there preaching, this guy comes, I mean, comes from, I don't know where he came from, and he came running up on him and started cursing and just carrying on and, you know, in his face. And it, it, was, it was quite intense to watch. And as the guy, as the street preacher's friends and, and congregation would come to try to, to get in between, the, the street preacher would tell him, leave him alone, let him, let him talk, let him, let him say what he wants to say. And so the guy's in his face, in the preacher's face, just, again, just cursing and being vile and, and just tearing down and saying the most horrible things about God and about Christians. Eight minutes into it, ten minutes into it, you begin to see this guy who approached the preacher. He started like just stumbling back, and all of a sudden, as the preacher's ministering, and the preacher's like, "Listen, like I'm not a, I'm, I don't know who you think I am, but I know the streets. I've come from the streets." I'll tell you what my life used to be like. And he began to share how he was a drug addict, how he was in and out of prison, that how he lived this immoral life. And he was like, so I know where you're coming from, but I, need to, I, I have to tell people about Jesus. I've got to let people know that there's hope, that there's freedom. So as this his interaction is taking place, little by little, this man just begins to collapse into the arms of evangelists. But the greater picture is he was collapsing into the arms of Jesus. The one that really he had issue with. He didn't have issue really with the evangelist. He had issues with Jesus. He wanted to know where God had been in his life. When all these different things were taking place, where was God? He had his fist up towards God. But then when he realized... God came to save him, to rescue him from this life. That God didn't cause the issues of his life, sin did. But God so loved the world that he came, that he sent his one and only son, and that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Like, listen, y'all, this is the good news. 
God throughout time has set apart a people for Himself. And the Israelites during this time was set apart. And I keep encouraging you as we read through the Old Testament, look, look, look for Jesus because He's all through it. Everything that's being done is pointing to Jesus, is pointing to the Messiah, is pointing to the one that's going to fulfill what was spoken back in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and God said to the serpent, there's going to come one who's going to crush your head. Jesus, you all. And as we read last week, there was rebellion in the camp. God had to deal with it. God had to deal with it. Let's pick up Numbers chapter 19, and we're going to read through 19 and 20. Pretty much everything is settling down now in the camp. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Here is another legal requirement commanded by the Lord. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer, a perfect animal that has no defects and has never been yoked to a plow. Give it to Eleazar, the priest, and it will be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Now, I want you to hear what I just read. I want you to, to underline it, to, to, to go back and look at that, because it's a picture of Christ. Christ was taken out of the city. Christ... Listen to what it says here real quick. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer, a perfect animal that has no defects and has never been yoked to a plow. Give it to Eleazar the priest and it will be taken outside the camp and slaughtered. That's what happened to Christ. He was taken outside the city. And he was beaten and whipped till he couldn't even be recognized. Eleazar, verse 4, will take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times towards the front of the tabernacle. As Eleazar watches, the heifer must be burned, its hide, meat, blood, and dung. Eleazar, the priest, must take a stick of cedar, a hyssop branch, and some scarlet yarn and throw them into the fire where the heifer is burning. Then the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Afterward, they may return to the camp, though he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. The man who burns the animal meat also also wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and he too will return unclean until evening. Then someone who is ceremonial clean will gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them in a purified place outside the camp. They will be kept there for the community of Israel to use in the water for the purification ceremony. This ceremony is performed for the removal of sin. Don't miss that. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. 
This is a permanent law for the people of Israel and any foreigners who live among them. All those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves on the third and seventh days with the water of purification. Then they will be purified. But if they do not do this on the third or seventh day, they will come to be unclean even after the seventh day. All those who touch a dead body and do not purify themselves in the proper way defile the Lord's tabernacle, and they will be cut off from the community of Israel. Since the water of purification was not sprinkled on them, their defilement continues. And I was reading through different commentaries this week. And if you remember what's happening now in this season of of Israel, they're dropping like flies. They're dying. The older generation has to die in order for the new generation to enter into the promised land because God told them, you all are not entering in. Remember, he wanted to wipe them all out. We saw Moses and Aaron intercede and pray for them. He said, okay, I won't kill them all, but what's going to happen is this older generation will not enter the promised land. Caleb and Joshua and the younger generation, they will be given what I have promised. But all the rest of you, you're going to die in the wilderness. You're going to die in the wilderness. And so one of the commentaries was saying that so with this defilement, with the water, with speaking about dead bodies and touching them and not touching them and being around them and so forth like that, they just weren't sure what to do with all the death that was taking place. And we also understand, remember what Romans 6 says, though the wages of sin is death. Sin and death, hand in hand. And God cannot partake sin and death. So he's given them this ritual, if you would, of purification to purify them, to remove them, to remove the sin from them. And ultimately, how does he do that for people? Through Jesus. Through the blood, through the death of Jesus we receive the forgiveness of our sins as we receive Christ. We are a pure, purified people. And that's why in 1 John when he says, I write to you so that you will not sin, but if you do sin, remember. <laughs> remember. See, sin is no longer to be our master. We're not shackled and slaved to sin any longer. No, the Bible says now we are slaves to righteousness. Right living, right standing with God, not because of anything we have done or will do, but because all of what Jesus has done and accomplished. Like Jesus is victorious. And again, it's not that you'll live a perfect life, but you ought to be living a maturing life. A life that is no longer seeking for self, but a life that's seeking to honor God. And then again, we see this picture too, that these people are cut off. The people that refuse to follow what God has established among his people, they are removed. They are no longer allowed among the community. 
Because they're dishonoring God. Listen, God takes it serious, you all. And that's why we cannot make him common as if he is man. We cannot make what Jesus has accomplished and act like it doesn't mean anything. We can't say that we believe he's victorious, that he has risen from the dead, that he's defeated sin and death, and then continue to be yoked to the very things in which we're claiming has been removed. Because then we're living with a divided heart. Our loyalties aren't secured in Christ. And the Bible says that if you're praying and you have a divided heart, you pray for one thing, but you live the other way, then basically cancels out. You shouldn't expect to receive anything because of the disloyalty and the division that is found in your own heart. Like, do we truly believe in the God whom we say we belong to? That we freely have laid down our lives and received the free gift of salvation wholeness that is found only in Christ. This is good news, you all. Verse 14, this is the ritual law that applies when someone dies inside a tent. All those who entered the tent and those who were inside wherein the death occurred will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Any open container in the tent that was not covered with the lid is also defiled. And if someone in an open field touches the corpse of someone who was killed with a sword or who died a natural death, or if someone touches a human bone or grave that a person was be, I'm sorry, that person will be defiled for seven days. The removal, to remove the defilement, put some of the ashes from the burnt purification offering in a jar and pour fresh water over them. This someone who is ceremonial clean must take a hyssop branch and dip it into the water. That person must sprinkle the water on the tent and all the furnishings in the tent and on the people who were in the tent, also on the person who touched a human bone or touched someone who was killed or who died naturally or touched a grave. On the third and seventh days, a person who is ceremonial clean must sprinkle the water on those who are defiled. Then on the seventh day, the people being cleansed must wash their clothes and bathe themselves. And that evening, they will be cleansed of their defilement. But those who become defiled and do not purify themselves will be cut off from the community, for they have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Since the water of purification has not been sprinkled on them, they remain defiled. This is a permanent law for the people. Those who sprinkle the water of purification must afterward wash their clothes, and anyone who then touches the water used for purification will remain defiled until evening. Anything in anyone that a defiled person touches will be ceremonially unclean until evening. Some people go, this is just too much. I I, I don't understand this. And and, and thank God, you all, that Jesus came. (laughs) Because if not, we would have to do all these rituals. We would have to perform, and we would have to take our the sacrifices. I mean, if we were engrafted into uh, foreigners among the Israelites, because <laughs> the Gentiles, the other nations, they didn't do all of this. They didn't believe in God. 
But if we were still a people waiting for the Messiah to come and, and we believed that the Messiah would come through Israel, then we would line up ourselves with Israel and we would have to continue to go about this. These rituals. And some people look at the Old Testament and say, well, who can serve a God like that? And I always keep encouraging you all. My reply is, who wouldn't serve a God like this? Like, even though you hear a lot of laws, even though you hear a lot of rituals, even though you hear a lot, God is making the way. God is establishing these ordinances, these these rituals, these laws. But they're all pointing to the one, Jesus. God is making a way for his people to be among him. For him to be among his people, God cannot be among sin. He he cannot and will not allow sin into his presence. So God is making a way (laughs) to remain faithful to what he has established, that he will have a people that will belong to him. And now we have Christ, you all. We have Christ. We have Christ. When we go about our day, when we do the things that we ought not to do, and the Holy Spirit brings conviction, when the words are coming forth, the thoughts are running amok, the actions are just coming forth, and we know that that does not honor God, we can't just dismiss it as that's just who I am. No, that's who you were. But allow Christ To purify you. Repent. Repent. Ask the Holy Spirit to equip you so that you don't keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Like there's freedom, you all, found in Christ. We're not yoked to the law. We're not yoked to what we're reading about. That doesn't mean we dismiss it. Because Jesus himself says, I I didn't come to basically do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. So that's why we're not bound, if you would, to the law. No, we're bound to Christ. Christ fulfilled the law. No man could have ever met and kept all that God was putting out And you say, well, then what was the purpose of the law? The law was purposed so that man will know their need for a Savior, for the Messiah. I can't, but He can, and He will, and He has. (laughs) So the law is actually beautiful. These ceremonies, these, these, these things, these rituals that we're reading about, what these people had to endure and to go through, again, it was all for the purpose of restoring them back into right fellowship with God. That's beautiful, you all. Chapter 20. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh, While they were there, Miriam died, that was Moses' sister, and was buried. 
There was no water for the people to drink at that place. So they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. Yet again. They have forgotten how God has provided for them. Instead of recalling, instead of remembering how great their God is, their need became greater than their God. They were thirsty. There was no water. And they'd been in this place before. They'd been in this place before when we read through Exodus. And God provided water for them. So instead of rebelling and grumbling and complaining, they should have just asked. And don't we miss that? Don't we miss that when things happen in our lives, there's a need in our lives, and we're quick to murmur, we're quick to complain, we're quick to get frustrated. And we ought to be very careful of that. Because can we not recall, God, if you did it then, you'll do it now. Amen. You may not do it in my time, but I know you to be faithful. I know you to be God. You're not man that you should lie. So God, I will wait upon you. I will trust in you. Because God cares for his people. So there was no water. And so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed, and look, they took it a step further. The people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Remember last week and the week before when all that rebellious people, God, they were being swallowed up by the earth. The fire was burning and the anger of God, the wrath was going forth. Aaron had to run through with the incense to protect them. They said it would have been better for us to die with them. And I were here with you. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into the wilderness to die along with our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink? (laughs) And they're placing all of that on Moses. (laughs) When it was God who brought them out. It was God who has given them everything that they needed. And yet they're looking at what they had. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. This beautiful picture again of intercession. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them And the Lord said to Moses, so get ready, highlight this, mark this, make sure you hear it. The Lord says, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak. Underline that, circle that, highlight that. Speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. What was the Lord's instruction to Moses to speak? Before, he told Moses to strike the rock. 
And he did that before when he had Moses to do that so that the people would know that Moses was called of God. God is saying now, you just speak so that the people will know, I'm God. I want them to look at me. I don't need to confirm you anymore. I've confirmed you, your calling, but I need them to remember who I am. So just speak to the rock, Moses. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. We don't know what happened to Moses. But he didn't follow what God said. And look, he's frustrated, he's angry. Must we bring you water from this rock? Oh no, Moses, you've been doing great all this time. Wait, Moses, where is Aaron? You say, what does that mean? As I was reading this, I was thinking... Wait a minute, Aaron was there. Aaron knew what Moses was supposed to do. Aaron should have gotten in between Moses and the rock and said, wait a minute, Moses. God will provide. Just speak to the rock. Don't hit it. No, no. He watched. He heard. And he allowed Moses to strike that rock. Not just once. Twice. They both are now held accountable to God. The people received what the people wanted. But Moses and Aaron, verse 12, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me, enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing, because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. They took God's glory. Moses and Aaron. They made it about them. And it was never about them. But in a moment of frustration, in a moment of of heated, you know, anger. Oh, we better take a lesson and we better learn a lesson. That's not the moment to act. We need to take a a step back. (laughs) Because nothing good will ever come 
in the moment of heated anger, and because all that's going to come forth is overreacting. And it cost Moses and Aaron. They will not be entering in. While Moses was at Kadesh, he sent ambassadors to the king of Edmund with this message. And I should stop here, because one of the commentaries I was reading through and studying through, it's interesting that Moses didn't plead with the Lord. Change your mind, God. No, I'm sorry. Nor did he argue with the Lord. How is this fair? How is this right? No, he just received the discipline that the Lord laid out. And there's such, a, there's such beauty in that. Because scripture says that he disciplines those that he loves. Moses knew he was wrong. And Moses knew that the discipline that God has set forth was right. And so Moses just got up from that place and continued to do as the Lord instructed him. So now we find him here. They were still at in Kadesh. Moses sent an ambassador or ambassadors, ambassador to the king of Edmund with this message. This is what your relatives, the people of Israel, say. You know all the hardships we've been through. Our ancestors went down to Egypt and we lived there a long time. And we and our ancestors were brutally mistreated by the Egyptians. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard us and sent an angel who brought us out of Egypt. Now we are camped at Kadesh a town on the border of your land. Please let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and vineyards. We won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road and never leave it until we have passed through your territory. But the king of Edmund say, said, Stay out of my land, or I will meet you with an army. The Israelites answered, We will stay on the main road. If our livestock drink your water, we will pay for it. Just let us pass through your country. That's all we ask. But the king of Edmund said, I replied, Stay out. You may not pass through our land. With that, he mobilized his army and marched out against them with an imposing force. Because Edmund refused to allow Israel to pass through their country, Israel was forced to turn around. Verse 22. The whole community of Israel left Kadesh and arrived at Malhor. There on the border of the land of Edmund, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, The time has come for Aaron to join his ancestors in death. He will not enter the land I'm giving the people of Israel, because the two of you rebelled against my instructions concerning the water at Meribah. Now take Aaron and his son Eleazar up Mount Hor. There you will remove Aaron's priestly garments and put them on Eleazar, his son. Aaron will die there and join his ancestors. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. The three of them went up to Mount Hor, together as the whole community watched. At the summit, Moses removed the priestly garments from Aaron and put them on Eleazar, Aaron's son. Then Aaron died there on top of the mountain, and Moses and Eleazar went back down. When the people realized that Aaron had died, all of Israel mourned him for 30 days. Wow. 
Yeah. Every night you just gotta just just take a deep breath and just go, wow, God. It's time now. God is preparing to move his people in to what he has established. And God is honoring everything that God has laid out, even up to the point to Aaron's death. Aaron, you're not going in. It's time now. It's time for you now to go rest with your ancestors. <clears throat> this is God, you all. He's faithful. He is just. He is righteous. He is holy. But praise be to God, Aaron's son, Eleazar, was there to receive the priestly role now. God is committed to what he has established. God is leading his people. God is leading them in order to bring forth the Messiah. Go to Luke. Actually, go to Psalms 90 before we go to Luke. Psalms 90. I don't know if y'all have ever read this psalm before. Or even if you did, if you knew that Moses wrote it. And Moses, I'm just going to read this note here I made. Moses wrote this psalm. He lived among a generation of people who were all doomed to die within a short time. And they were all to die in the wilderness. And this is the psalm that Moses wrote. Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness and pro... pro, uh, pro, Oh my goodness. Proportion. Proportion. Sorry. Give us gladness and proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, let, your, let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts 
successful. Remember what I've always told you about the Psalms as you're reading through the Psalms. These are men who were, who, who were dealing with all issues of life. This is Moses, a great leader that God had, has drawn up and placed in charge. He loved the people. But he loved God more. He knew God. He knew the rebellion that was among the people. He knew the wrath that they were enduring because of their rebellion, because of their lack of wisdom. And so we see the first half of that, that psalm, you know, just really giving us a good picture of what's taking place. But then we see the latter half pointing it all back to God, looking to God in the midst of it all. Trusting in God, that God, you can turn this around. God, forgive us. Reveal yourself to us. Come, be among us. And oh, how that is a prayer that we can pray for our families, for our friends, for our loved ones. That we just don't give up, that we stand in the gap. It's a beautiful psalm, and I wanted to share that with you all as I've been meditating on it this week. Go to Luke, chapter 1, verse 1 through 25 is what we're going to read. But before that, as I do with each book that we start, I want to give you an introduction of it. So the introduction to Luke. So what's the purpose of this gospel? It's to present an accurate account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Some of the themes that we're going to read as we go through The book is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Holy Spirit, compassion for the oppressed, and salvation for Gentiles. So Luke's gospel narrates the ministry of Jesus in his mighty deeds and divine words, with a focus on Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. Luke's main interest is salvation history. The story of what God has done in Jesus to bring salvation is available for sinful people. He has a strong concern for the disreputable who were neglected in contemporary religion but could find peace in God's salvation. By highlighting a number of Jesus' parables that are not found in other Gospels, Luke underscores Jesus' mission of rescuing those who are lost. For example, when asked about why he was on such a relentless pursuit of those whom the religious leaders of the day preferred to shun, Jesus answered by telling of the, by telling of the prodigal son. Jesus' point was that those he spent time with are those whom the Father truly loved. The seriousness of Jesus' mission becomes apparent in his parable of a rich man in hell. Eternity hangs in the balance. So Jesus' mission to rescue those who are lost is critical. So as you move through Luke, you will better understand and learn how to participate with Jesus in his mission. So pay attention to, and I'm going to read you these points here. So pay attention to prophecies fulfilled. The Old Testament prophets foretold Jesus' ministry. If you're going to partner with Jesus in his ministry, you will need to understand that he came to bring salvation to all peoples everywhere. The next point, pay attention to the purpose given. 
Jesus understood that the heart of his ministry lay in the purpose that the Holy Spirit had given him. As you pursue the life of a follower of Jesus, you need to rely on the presence and power of the Spirit as Jesus did. Next, pay attention to the ministry described. To confirm that he was to the, fu- the fulfillment of God's promises, Jesus described the kind of ministry he had undertaken, the same kind that he continues today through his followers. The next point, pay attention to the task assigned. Although Jesus' 12 disciples had a distinctive role in carrying out and extending the ministry of Jesus, it is important to recognize that he delegated others to participate as well. His commission to present-day believers is quite similar, and all his followers are empowered to join in what he is doing. Pay attention to the parables told. Jesus told parables that illustrated his own mission and call. When confronted with a challenge to the kind of ministry he was carrying out, Jesus told three related parables. The story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. Taken together, these three parables underscore the heart of the ministry Jesus has undertaken and invites his followers to join. And finally, pay attention to the purpose stated. As Jesus ministered to an outcast from Jewish society, he offered a simple yet profound summation of what he had come to do, seek and save the lost. Those who partner with Jesus must give themselves to the same mission. So the scripture to reflect on as we're studying through the book of Luke is Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He came from God to seek and save those who are lost. And so the outline of Luke, Luke chapter 1 through chapter 4, verse 13, the Son of God enters the world as the Son of Man. Luke chapter 4, verse 14 through chapter 9, verse 50, the Son of Man begins ministry of seeking and saving the lost. Luke 9, verse 51 through 19, verse 27, the Son of Man explains what he is doing and why. Luke 19, verse 28 through 24, verse 53, the death and resurrection of the Son of Man. So that's the introduction to Luke. And it really is an incredible gospel. And we're going to see that he, Luke is not going to really focus a lot on the Messianic um, prophecies. He's not, going to, he's not speaking to a Jewish crowd. No, he's writing to Theophilus, who was a Gentile. Maybe someone politically held some type of political office in, in Rome. He, he, was, he wasn't... A Jew. This gospel is written and given as the account that Luke heard from the witnesses, the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And he's writing it in hopes to inspire Theophilus as well as the rest of us that Jesus didn't come or the Messiah wasn't just for the Jews, but he's for everyone. And it's a beautiful gospel, as all of them are, but it's a beautiful gospel because we're going to hear these parables that aren't mentioned in the other gospels that really deal with the loss 
that really deals with how the religious of the day kept people away from God instead of bringing them to God. Remember, Jesus' issue when he came was the religious leaders. Those who, who had so much knowledge yet did not know God. They made it about themselves. And they kept people from God. But God himself came. And Jesus hung out with sinners. And a lot of people use that for an excuse to kind of remain enslaved to their sin. Listen, Jesus hung, hung, hung out with sinners, but Jesus never, ever denied who he was among them. No, he gave them hope. He gave them hope. That's why lives were being changed. He hung out with them, but lives were being changed. He didn't deny who he was. He met their needs. He healed the sick. He fed them when they were hungry. He talked with such power. He upheld truth. And then he called people in to his mission. To seek and to save the lost. Oh, how each of us can be encouraged that he came for us, you all. He came for us. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 25 is where we're at today. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an account, an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. I love that line, verse 4. The purpose behind this is not only so Theophilus can have it, but so that you, so that me, could have what is needed to be certain of the truth of everything that we have been taught. (coughs) He goes on, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, carefully to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And, and I'm sorry, as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him 
John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I am old. I am an old man now. And my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Wow. God, you all. From barrenness, he can bring life. From what may look can't be done, God can do it. No matter what the situation is. Zechariah, the angel appeared to him. He heard him speak, and yet he questioned. Because of that, he will be remain silent. Won't be able to speak until the child is born. And what's so significant about what we just read these verses is John the Baptist. It's a fulfillment yet again of prophecy in the Old Testament. So as you have the New Testament open, most of your Bibles, you can go and you can look as you're reading. It'll point to the Old Testament scriptures of what's being fulfilled. And I always challenge people as I disciple people, do that. Go back and look. Go back and read. Go back and see how faithful God is to his word. And that'll bring encouragement to you. This is the living word of God. Everything that God has established, he's bringing about. John the Baptist has to be born because he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Oh, that's great news. Go to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. Yet another psalm from King David. And we're reading the whole psalm. Oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. 
My foes attack me all day long. I am constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? They are always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness. In your anger, O God, bring them down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. <laughs> the church would say amen. amen. I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God. I will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. Ah, there's so much in this psalm, you all. There's so much encouragement that you can find in this psalm. Like, I don't know if you've ever had seasons in your life when you felt alone. <laughs> no one understands you. Nothing is turning around. It seems like you're just all alone, isolated. There's no one to talk to. There's no one to pour your heart out to. There's no one that's listening to your cries. But did you hear the good news in this song? God is with you. God is with you. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. That's how close God is with us, you all. We're not alone. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. Oh, that we should stand up and praise God, you all. And not just when seasons are good. But when everything's falling apart. <laughs> when there's so much coming against us. That we would stand and we would praise our God. David could have felt sorry for himself. He probably would have had every right and we probably all would have said, David, oh, dude, we understand. But David knows his God. Do we know our God? David knows that he knows that he knows that God is by his side. That God would lead him. That's why I love it when David prays. Oh God, search me, test me. See if there's any wicked way within me. I mean, you have to know your God to be bold with a prayer like that. God is the God of comfort. He's the God of provision. He's the God of strength. 
He's a God of love. He's a God of discipline. He's a God that cares for you intimately. He's a God that has come to seek and to save the lost. He's a God that equips you to live for Him. He's a God that gives you the wisdom and the understanding and the discernment that is needed so that you will not mock His justice. And that you will learn how to live lives sowing to that which is right so that you can reap the benefit of life. And that's why it's Jesus that comes to give us life and life in abundance. John 10.10, Jesus says, It's the thief that comes to kill, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come to give you life. And oh, so when when the enemy is hounding you, when the enemy is breathing down your neck, Stand and remind him of your God. Remind him of your God. Doreen and I have been studying the the armor of God and dressing for battle every day. The Bible says in Ephesians, after you've done all you know to do, then just stand. And stand therefore then the helmet of salvation with the breastplate of righteousness, put it on with the belt of truth with the shoes and the sandals of peace you would pick up the shield of faith that would distinguish the fiery darts of the enemy and that you would pick up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God see the enemy wants us to be afraid he wants to push us back against in in the corner to make us cower down to make us give in no but we must remember greater is he that is in us and he that is in this world and I will trust my God no matter how loud you're screaming at me I will praise him I will worship him for I know my God The Bible says that no weapon forged against you will prosper. It doesn't say that the weapons will not be forged against you. Because Jesus tells us, in this world you will have trouble. But listen, our eyes are to be fixed on this world. Our eyes are to be fixed up unto Christ. Oh, there's good news. There's good news. There's good news, you all. And so we find this here in the psalm that King David wrote. Everything is falling apart around him. He's being bullied. (laughs) This is King David. He's got people surrounding him that want to kill him, that's constantly out after him. He could have stayed in his room and moped and allowed the lies of the enemy and those around him to rule and reign over him. (laughs) But he got up. He said, yeah, no. I know my God. And God is for me. And God, you've heard my cries. You've bottled up my tears. You know my sorrow. But you're my God. And you've been with me. And you are for me. And you will deliver me. And I will walk in the light. Oh, come on, we can praise God this day, you all. 
that you can go into in this upcoming week with the assurance that God is for you. Last piece of wisdom you're going to get today is Proverbs 11, verse 8. A little nugget of wisdom. Proverbs 11, verse 8. I want to go back to last week's. Verse 7. When the wicked die, their hope die with them, for they rely on their own feeble strength. In our nugget of wisdom today, verse 8, the godly are rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. We are rescued from trouble. We are rescued in Christ. And those who are are not in Christ, they will endure such trouble. And so when we have this understanding, we can distinguish between good and evil. Oh, that should prompt us, you all, to remember the introduction to Luke. What did Jesus came to do? To seek and to save the lost. When we as God's people can open up God's word and we can see and we can distinguish between good and evil, right from wrong, godly and ungodly, when we see it, oh, let us be God's people who are in agreement with Jesus to go forth and to share the good news with others. When we see what's going to end up with those who reject Christ, let us be just as caring as Christ would to them to share the good news, to tell them of the way out, to live a life that is different from among anything they've ever seen around them, to be the hope, to be the hands and the feet of Christ to them. So many times people hear these promises of, of, for, the, for the child of God, for the Christian, and then we boast ourselves up in it, and we neglect the purpose of it, is to be able to share it. And that's why I've always told you all, what you have received, give freely. As you have been forgiven, <coughs> forgive. Stop living with bitterness. Stop living with unforgiveness. As you receive such great love, freely give love. As you have received grace and mercy, extend it to others. Because as I've told you, as this world continues leading up to His return, it's only going to get darker. It's going to get worse out there. But the good news is... (laughs) If we have breath in our bodies, we are purposed for this generation and the generation in which we are in to be the light to you all, to share the good news of Christ and of his return. So yes, that is hold on to his promises, but freely give them to others because this is the hope that we have in our God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close this with this song and then I'll close this in prayer.